0: Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to welcome you to Radiology Across Borders podcast series, The Rabcasts. In the next 30 minutes, we will be interviewing a leader in their field of expertise, an individual who through their skills has had a significant impact both locally and globally, and in many cases has shaped that conversation. My name is Suresh De Silva. Hello and welcome to this edition of The Rabcasts. We're joined today by Dr. Philip Lucas, a trained radiologist with over 25 years working in private practice radiology. His experience is very vast, including building up multi-clinic practices. And he's presently the CEO of Lumus Imaging. Phil has a particular interest in musculoskeletal imaging and sports medicine imaging. His career has included roles as a consultant radiologist with organisations such as Rugby Australia, New South Wales Rugby Union, the National Rugby League and the AFL Swans here in Sydney. He has also served as a radiologist at the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games. Phil has held positions as a clinical lecturer at the University of New South Wales in Sports Medicine Imaging and has been an associate lecturer at the University of Sydney. He has a broad clinical, commercial and leadership experience with a proven record in developing imaging practices. He holds a Bachelor of Medicine and Surgery from Sydney University and is a fellow of the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Radiologists and has done an MSK Imaging Fellowship at the University of Virginia. Philip Lucas, welcome to the Rabcasts.
1: Thanks, Suresh. Thanks for having me.
0: Before we get started in the formal part of this, um, just a big thank you also to Loomis Imaging and to Helios for the support of the charity. Since you've come on, which has been the last four years, initially as a project sponsor and then as a major partner, we've really benefited from both the logistic support that yourself, Sue Pollman and the whole team have provided, and uh, particularly the financial support that you've provided. So a big, big thank you from the charity, from, from RAB.
1: Yeah, no, you're welcome. Yeah.
0: Now, Phil, Loomis has been a sponsor, as I've indicated, of the charity now for four years, originally as a project partner and now as a major partner. Can I ask you why it has been so important for Loomis as an organisation and your parent company, Helios, to support emerging nations globally?
1: Yes, sir Look, since the COVID pandemic, you know, emerging nations have um, had their normal challenges and, and, you know, raises in their external debt and uh, these challenges are growing at an unprecedented rate. And so developed countries like ours, including companies like ours, sort of rallying around and assisting wherever we can. And within our healthcare industry, Helios and Lumis Imaging can help by partnering with organisations like uh, Radiology Across Borders to provide education programs and materials. And two of these sort of examples that we've done recently is t- to provide online modules, education modules. I think we've got up to 40 to 60 of them currently. And also by offering some visiting observerships to uh, radiologists to come and see how radiology is done in our country and learn something different to take home back to their countries. So it's been a pleasure for us to be involved in an organisation like Radiology Across Borders.
0: Now, I've got to, I've got to say on, on a special note too, thank you for the modules. We've Sue Polman, who's your education officer, who's been an absolute delight. And I actually think it's a terrific role that you've created there, having a, an education officer separate from... The, the senior positions who can sort of, you know, propagate the knowledge. She's been really um, sensational in her support and, you know, a big, big 10 out of 10 for her in her, her engagement with the charity. Yeah, I agree. She's
1: um, a gem, absolute gem.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. And there are other projects which you've indicated with the modules that we actually haven't got up and running yet because we're just so busy at the charity, but we will be getting up and running in the, in, in the, in the course of the next few months. But leading on from this point, and uh, this is something that, for us this year has been an absolute delight. One of the things that we've, we've always wanted to do at the charity is to provide observerships. So we have, as you probably know, um, an international certificate, which is renowned now because of its quality. We take 40 students from out throughout the world and they go through a very strenuous um, year of teaching. And we've always wanted to provide a opportunity for the top students in the uh, Asia Pacific to be able to come to Australia for observerships, but we've never had the logistics or the funds. And the other second thing that we wanted to do is to have research fellowships. So for those in the Indo-Pacific who are good at research, um, because we all know the importance of research, you know, to reward them by giving them some kind of scholarship. But once again, we've never really had the logistics or the funds to do that. Since you've come on though, as a CEO, you have personally made the decision to fund locally two travelling observerships for the best international certificate students, as well as providing funded research scholarships to attend your general meeting for two winners from the Indo-Pacific. This is at quite an additional expense to the other money that you're providing us, but is of absolutely incredible value to the beneficiaries. Can I ask you why you made that decision, a decision that we are very grateful for at the charity and hope we can continue?
1: Sure, sure. So look, look, personally, I am a very strong believer in philanthropic work and as an extension of that, as the new group executive of Loomis at Imaging, the fact that we could offer these observerships um, together with Radiology Across Borders to make this happen was so important for me and for the business as a whole. Um, we, we find the charity phenomenal and the fact that it has this ability to bring these imaging professionals from other countries, remote places um, is a fantastic uh, opportunity for, for them and for us also to, to share our knowledge. So we recently had the pleasure to have Anastasia Munieff from Fiji come to us for the observership during September of this year and she finished up by attending our national conference um, as well as, as you said, the two visitors who came who won their scientific prize to come to our conference. Um, it was so great to meet Anastasia and the others and to see them taking in so much radiology information as they did and she could get around to all our clinics. And our, and our doctors and our staff thoroughly enjoyed uh, mentoring her and teaching her what they, what they knew and what she'd take back. And um, I realised that these kind of observerships are so important. When you read what Anastasia wrote in her diary notes and how useful that information that she took in here and what she returned back to Fiji and what she'll put into her practice back in Fiji and share with her, her colleagues there, it's invaluable. At Lumis Imaging, we were able to show and give Anastasia access to information that she hadn't been exposed to in Fiji. Um, she got to see interventional radiology, you know, musculoskeletal type procedures that they wouldn't potentially do in Fiji regularly, like joint injections in the hand. She learned to be involved in nuclear medicine imaging and reading, and she had good exposure to ultrasound, x-ray, and CT. And just the smiles, the, the, all three of them gave fabulous speeches at our um, clinical meeting at the end and, and was so happy to have been here and just to see the smiles on their faces during that presentation was worth it alone. So we're very excited that we can offer this, this, um, this, these observerships.
0: Thank you very much for that. And one thing that I don't think people really realise because they see it, this is a charity that provides education support uh, and consultancy pro bono and that's what we do that's undeniable what we're doing and that's why we're recognized globally but one thing people don't realize is a soft diplomacy with their engagement with our region you know, this is he- healthcare, something that's really really important and this is australia and new zealand primarily but also our friends in canada and england reaching out and helping the region and it's yeah. through organizations such as loomis and the other amazing major partners that we have that we can achieve this and you're really directly affecting not just healthcare, but our engagement with the region, something that Lumus should be very proud of and our other partners. Thank you.
1: So thank you Yeah, that. we are. Thank you.
0: Phil, Lumus Imaging is in the top three providers of diagnostic imaging in Australia with over 150 clinics. You've done a major rebrand recently um, since, since you've come in. Can you tell your audience and our audience a little bit more about the reason for that and the vision for Loomis Imaging in
1: the future. Sure, you look. So yeah, that's fine. The re- the rebrand actually happened just before I came in, but sort of two years ago, the Helios Imaging division was made up of a hundred separate brands nationally, which sort of didn't fit the national strategy. So we brought all the imaging brands in in a twelve month period into a consolidated Loomis Imaging brand, and that was a huge logistical feat. You know, as I said, it happened just before my time. So today, that whole Loomis Imaging Network is 150 sites across Australia. We've got a mixture of standalone community imaging centres. We've got imaging facilities in both private and public hospitals. And we've got imaging uh, centres also within GP medical centres. And certainly in the last nine months that I've been on, you know, the imaging brand has strengthened. The business has become well-positioned to grow. And And over the next two years, this rebrand will continue to offer the ongoing benefits of Brand recognition with both with our people and potential staff that come towards it, you know, who know that what the values of Loomis are. Obviously, the community, our referrers and patients will get to know the Loomis Imaging brand. We're working hard to upgrade our clinics and upgrade our digital programs and technology. Um, and so, we, since I've started, you know, we've really refreshed our business strategy. Um, on top of this new branding. We want to be one of the top quality providers of imaging services for both our patients and our referrers. And we've got a very simple refresh strategy, which is um, three pillars, our people, quality and customer experience and not rocket science. But just those if we get those things right, our people, our quality and our customer experience, then we'll be an outstanding imaging services provider. Um, Going forward, uh, we intend to invest in new technologies um, there's been a rapid pace of investment in, in Loomis already, upgrading our imaging equipment, our network, and our AI, and into the future AI tools. We have approximately 2,000 staff, so we are a big, a big organisation, and it's great to see them now starting to work in a very collegiate team model, which is one of my biggest focuses to get our people working together in a collegiate role. Um, so we have a great platform to build this quality business, as I said ac- across. The, most of the states of Australia, particularly the eastern states of Australia, and I can see a great future for Loomis going forward.
0: Leading on from that, Phil, you've, you've been in radiology now for, if you don't mind me saying, a long time, as I have, yeah. Um, and you've achieved a lot and would have seen a lot of change in radiology over the years. How different do you think radiology will look in 10 to 15 years from now with all this change that's occurring?
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, in Australia, we have two systems. We've got a public hospital system and we've got a private sector. I'm mainly involved in the, in the private uh, sector of delivering healthcare. I, I certainly think in the private sector that there'll be continued consolidation into major large practices, which will be nationwide networks with predominance of subspecialty skills and all the modalities under the one roof, whether in the one clinic, but we're certainly within in, in a region based on these consolidated large groups. I think subspecialization has to happen. There's definitely going to be turf battles in radiology about who's doing the imaging, whether it's radiologists who are trained as radiologists or whether it's other medical um, specialties who have an interest in imaging, such as, for example, cardiologists or Potentially neurologists or urologists, so I think that's something that radiologists need to be aware of and keep relevant going forward. Um, I, I also think that working from home, remote reporting, will be a larger, a bigger, a bigger play, a much bigger role. Will certainly be clinical attendance, but the days of maybe having. Two or three radiologists on site may reduce to one or two, and there may be maybe a couple working from home. I think everyone in this profession will probably spend some of their time working remotely, whether it's from home or somewhere else in the world, to report from a clinic uh, remotely. And then finally, there's no doubt that AI will play a big part in our, in our imaging businesses. Um, it's definitely a tool that we'll use to improve our productivity and our accuracy in patient care. And it also be used in our interaction with both patients and referrers and in the way our reports are presented and the way sort of care um, and future management relates to what we see on the images and is reflected back to our referrers and patients. So um, there's no doubt that AI is going to be a large part of imaging in the next 10 years or so.
0: Yeah, look, you can't come onto one of the Rabcasts without discussing AI. It's a, mm-hmm. it's, it's a common theme that we've had in almost every um, podcast we've had since we started this program. Yeah. Because it's sort of central to our, to our um, industry, I guess you could say. Do you think, um, Phil, that artificial intelligence, and you can be honest about this, and mm-hmm. I mean, we all hedge around this, and I know a lot of people you know, don't like to answer this directly, but do you think it is a threat to the future of radiologists?
1: I think, I think the bigger threat to radiologists is actually um, the turf battles about, you know, that um, clinicians being more engaged with patients than radiologists. So if AI means that radiologists are further re- removed from patients and interactions with clinicians, and you know, then then definitely yes, potentially. Um, I, you know, I say that in the fact that, you know, if chest x-rays are read by AI and the clinicians in the A&E don't need the radiologist interaction you know don't get interaction with them they'll they'll just rely on that ai type thing but look basically it's a a a great tool for us to improve our accuracy and productivity Um, but i think the future of radiology depends on their clinical engagement their relationship with referrers and with patients more than more than the ai tool itself Um, there's no doubt it'll be in our in our industry in imaging it'll definitely improve our accuracy it'll definitely improve our productivity, particularly in these, the mundane type tasks of counting nodules, measuring nodules, change, have things got bigger or smaller. And it will definitely change the way we present this data to both referrers and patients. So I think that's sort of my answer. It's sort of a mixed bag, but radiologists need to stay focused on clinical care. We need to be considered as clinicians relating to both referrers and to patients.
0: That's a common, I have to say that's a common theme and response that I get from uh, the majority of the people I ask that question in senior roles, right. And that is that it's it's going to be more clinical, we're going to be getting away from the mundane, we're going to be moving away from reporting bucket loads of chest x rays and bucket loads of ultrasounds of the abdomen. And we'll be doing more of a clinical more MDT, more engagement, more research, that type of thing. Is that what you envisage even in private oh, radiology? So. Can you
1: speak? Yeah, Well, I think in private radiology, yeah, definitely, I think think so. Otherwise, there'll be people who've come through, you know, whether we call them radiologists, but there are people who are coming through training schemes that aren't in imaging. So they're coming through, say, cardiology or um, physician's training or surgical training as neurosurgeons who will be reading images in private practice. Now, whether they're reading them like radiologists are, but they will unless we stay engaged with patients and and our referrers, so yeah. will it change in private practice potentially private practice will have these sorts of radiologists and commas reading their films rather than those who've trained through the imaging imaging pathway
0: yeah that's true uh, look i also like, like and agree to, to um with your point that there's going to be much more subspecialty radiology and the allocation of particular subspecialties to people who do that subspecialty. Uh, I think it's fair to say that the days are going to be numbered where generalists report everything. Is that fair to say? Is that your take Uh, as well? Well, I think
1: that's the the main reason that'll evolve is if you want to compete against this turf battle, you know, the radiologists have to be reading, for example, my subspecialty area sports medicine type work better than a sports medicine physician can read them. Otherwise... They won't. Re- they won't rely on our reports for their management. So, um, I, I believe if you it's part of that defeating the turf battle, then I think radiologists need to be very subspecialized. Yes.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's a very that's a very good point and a very clear description of why we have to go into subspecialty rather than just be all generalists um, yep. to to protect ourselves from that turf war. Yep. Phil, let's just change the topic a little bit here. Yeah. You have quite a few interests outside of work, including sailing, skiing, and very importantly, the theatre. You're very passionate about the theatre and have performed in numerous productions, including in the last five years or so, Fiddler on the Roof, where you had a lead role. Where does this passion for theatre come from? And can you tell us a little bit more about your love for this discipline?
1: Sure, sure. No, it's look in a very busy professional role. It's great to have passions outside of outside of work. And um, look, I was a, I've always been interested in theatre all my life, but I actually became a participant quite late in my life. I was in my thirties. Um, one of my children, he's my oldest son, was probably year eleven. So so sorry, sorry, year five. So he's about eleven to twelve years old, and he was cast in an adult musical theatre show called Titanic. And I was the dad who drove my son to rehearsals, you know, for, the, for a three-month period, Tuesdays and Thursday nights. And I just got to love the music, the singing in the four, eight-part harmony um, and get to know, that, you know, knowing the, how that whole production came from nothing to an on-stage um, performance. And I said to my son, I'm doing the next one with you. You're not going to have all the fun. So um, the next one we did together, he was then, you know, 12 years old and I did Camelot with him. That was my first one in tights. And I was in the ensemble and, you know, this theatre company I joined, I'd made great mates. And so from, I did then probably next 25 years straight, one show a year. I made sure in my busy schedule, I could free up Tuesday, Thursday nights for at least three months of a year and then clear out sort of a two week performance period where, you know, I still worked, but turned up it didn't have late evenings and could have maybe a later start or a day off it so to get the you know, through the fourteen or show performances we did. So look I got through a lot of a lot of shows, I got quite a few roles under my belt. i I'm now in my fifties, I sort of tend to get the older man roles or, you know, character roles sort of my age appropriate less dancing more singing and acting but um you know i certainly used to do the dance as well and you know the other interest because i'm so interested i've met so many people in the industry i've met a number of people who've become professional producers and so i sort of also produce shows now with them and i've got a couple of shows at the in the west end and also in broadway and i'm going over after rs this year to see two of them on in broadway that i've invested in so i look at definitely a passion in the arts and um uh particularly musical theater it's a big love of mine
0: we were talking offline about those two productions that you're um, a part of, or investing in. Do you want to yeah. give us a little bit? We've got time. Do you want us to tell us a little bit more about those two?
1: Well, sure, sure. Well, one of them's um, a musical version of the movie Back to the Future. It's been running in the West End now for two years in London, and it's opened the last six months in Broadway, and doing doing very, very well. It's a very popular show. It's great for families because the 40-year-olds you know, the, uh, the who love Back to the Future have taken their 13, 14-year-olds along to who are also falling in love with Back to the Future. So that's a marvelous success. It's going to tour also in America and hopefully we will bring that out to Australia. And the other one that's opening in the next couple of weeks is a Barry Manilow-written show that he wrote several years ago called Harmony about the comedian Harmonists in the 1930s, six, six men who became pretty much the first boy band in the 30s. Uh, very big in America, had millions of followers and unfortunately hit, they were German and Hitler rose to power, they went back to Germany, half of them were Jewish and so you can imagine what happened to the band, the whole troop was broken up and they were forgotten about and so this is uh, Barry Manilow's attempt to really reinforce that this this band was incredibly talented the comedians and, and harmony singers and the music's incredible it's all written in, unlike a Barry Manilow musical that you believe, it's this 1920s, 1930s music with a very entertaining type show. So looking forward to seeing that in Broadway in the next couple of weeks.
0: Can you see them coming coming to our shores?
1: Or uh, something look, like Harmony definitely, you know, it depends how it goes. Definitely I can see Back to the Future coming to Australia. I look out for it in the next couple of years. It will definitely be here, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah well, you
0: heard it first, everybody. Um, these two questions, <laughs> keep your eye out for them all. I believe you also have at least one daughter who is very theatrical as well. The rap cast, as you know, now probably have a very – not probably, we do have a very big reach. Would you like to give a bit of a plug for her?
1: Sure, that's very kind of um, you. Yeah, look, I did shows, as I said, through, I, my oldest son I did shows with early on and I did shows musical shows with every one of my kids – And um, my youngest one took up the love for it. I kept loving it, but she also loved it, did many musicals as well. And eventually when she finished school, she became a professional actress. She graduated NIDA as an actress, but was always a very good singer-songwriter. And in between auditions for for plays and and TV shows and things, she's been writing incredibly great songs and um, has had quite a number of independent releases now on Spotify and YouTube and certainly getting quite a following, um, lots of uh, interest from record labels and things now. So if you want to listen to her, her name's Charlie Lucas, with a Charlie with an I, and you'll find her songs on Spotify or all those streaming platforms. She's at least a dozen or so songs out there, but she's certainly, um, for those who like indie pop, you'll, you'll love Charlie.
0: All right. So you heard that, everybody, Charlie Lucas with an I. And after you get off this rap cast, if it's not too late, go to Spotify and and have a
1: listen to her. Thank you so much, that's kind of you.
0: We've got to that point in the interview where we uh, call it well, what we call our magic minute. Sure. Okay, so now this is a little bit different and it's a bit of fun and we always enjoy doing this. And this is where we get to know a little bit more about Phil Lucas, the person, more so than Phil Lucas, the CEO, or Phil Lucas, the radiologist. Okay, right. so we have two types of questions. We have the open-ended questions where you can say whatever you want. And then we have the choice of two. So you have a binary, one or the other. Okay. Now, everything sure. is above the belt. There's nothing inappropriate. But if you don't want to ask answer anything, just please say pass. And it's just a lot of fun and we'll get, we'll get going in a moment. So, okay. Phil Lucas, okay. if you're ready for the magic minute. Now, by the way, I've done some research on this. I always do my research for this. So <laughs> if some of these... If these come out of the blue and think of, how did you know that, it's because I've had a chat to one of your friends or two of your friends, actually. Okay. So, be prepared. Okay, Phil Lucas, the first question in the magic minute. Do you have a favorite movie or movies?
1: Well, I have to say Back to the Future. But um, right. no, I, like, I really like being there as well with Peter Sellers. Okay, All Right.
0: Do you have a – I mean, I'm sure you do have many bands that you like. Do you have a favourite band or bands that
1: you'd like to name? Well, I was a big fan of ABBA over the years, Mm -hmm. the Bee Gees, but uh, sort of recently uh, Coldplay be one of my top.
0: Yeah. I think uh, all of us who went through the 70s and 80s wanted liked (laughs) ABBA and Bee Gees. You couldn't really get away from that. I'm surprised you didn't throw in there Michael Jackson.
1: No, not not such a fan, but look, I must admit, when I was in year 10 at school, I was probably the only year 10 boy from my old boys school who went and saw the opening of Greece and summer holidays when anyone else went to the beach. So I guess it goes to show maybe back in when I was 15 years old how much I loved that sort of music. That's right.
0: But you didn't actually um, perform till the 30s, but it was in there, right? Waiting to be released. That's right.
1: That's right. Exactly.
0: Phil, when you started your CEO position at Loomis this year, on your Facebook page, you had a picture of some polished shoes. What was the background to that?
1: Oh, that was at Sydney Harbour.
0: That's so, right. I saw them
1: right. hanging well,
0: on the day you started at Loomis.
1: Yeah, you know, like your new school shoes. The um, guy was building a house down in the northern beaches. And um, for two years uh, during COVID, I lived in uh, McMahon's Point, a beautiful apartment I rented. Um, looking over Sydney Harbour back at the city and that was yeah. a view from my bedroom. I just lucked out because during COVID, all the executives that usually rented these apartments weren't around. So I lucked out on a relatively good value rent in a pretty yeah. nice spot. So it was a great place to be for, for the COVID lockdown for two years with my little dog and my wife. It was fantastic. Yeah.
0: Okay. Now, I know you are passionate both about sailing and the theatre, Mm-hmm. Okay, but if you had to do without one of them, which would it be?
1: I, uh, I think I'd probably do without sailing if I had to. I mean, I, I, I'm not—I don't race. I cruise mainly. I do, but twilight racing. But I, I do love the theatre very much. Right.
0: Yeah. And I've heard that you absolutely hate scatter cushions. Why is
1: that? Because <laughs> they clutter. All I do is take them off and throw them on the floor. Um, yeah, no, I don't. I, uh, especially when you've gone through, you know, you, rent, you renovated a house, got all your new, you know, build a new house, all your new furniture. And then there's just cushions filling up everything. But it's definitely, you might have been speaking to my wife. She loves them. So I've learned to live with them.
0: I know the, the source that I asked, it wasn't your wife. Um, <laughs> I asked them specifically, what does Phil hate? And the first thing That's that came to one. his, his mind were scatter cushions that I thought I had to ask you. So, yeah. even though it sounds a bit obscure, That's the reason why. Yeah. Now we get to Just the binary the clutter.
1: questions.
0: The clutter, right. We get to the binary questions now. Would you prefer okay. a sticky meal or a steak? A steak. Really? Okay. I think you're the first person. I ask the same question, by the way, to everybody because I'm right. doing this sort of questionnaire. I think you're the, actually the first person that actually has had steak, so good oh, on really? you. really? Yeah, everyone else has seemed to be eating more sushi. But what about wine or beer?
1: Uh, it depends, but probably beer would be my first go-to for, for Once a first again. drink. Yeah
0: once again you know, i think you're the first person who said beer we, we think uh, i thought times had changed but it's, it's good to see some of the old vote coming back in here but don't take that the wrong way but uh, no,
1: no 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 i have a glass of wine but don't get me wrong but i definitely would drink beer quicker right. refreshing wise
0: now this is going to be a challenging and difficult one for you hamilton or les miserables
1: Ooh, that's a tough one i've been in les mis um, but i must say hamilton was Les Mis was a a revelation when you first saw it and it brilliant, you know, in my top five, but Hamilton's my favourite musical of all time.
0: Really? Okay. And, you know, Hamilton's coming back.
1: Yep, it's coming back here. It's just finished its big tour. Um, I went to – I saw the original cast in Broadway, you know, when the tickets were out of this world in price, but it is still the greatest. It's just uh, such an innovative, incredibly clever piece of art.
0: Okay, now this is this is this is taking you back a few years now. But who was better, Anthony Warlow or Philip Quast?
1: I'd say Philip Quast. Really? And, and also wow. was a lecturer of my daughter at NIDA. He's a f- fabulous person. Yeah.
0: Unbelievable boys, both of them unbelievable. Yeah, and voices.
1: he's and he's still awesome. incredibly good actor. Um, Philip Quast, yeah. you know, he's doing lots of plays now. Uh, although I saw um in Chicago, um Anthony Warlow is going to be playing. Daddy Warbucks on tour.
0: Right. I remember seeing Philip Quast in 1988 as um, Javert in Les Miserables. Mm. And I still remember that day and the impact that his voice had on me. It was just quite amazing. Yeah.
1: And he's still got that beautiful voice. Yeah. yeah.
0: But it's a tough choice because Anthony Waller is such an incredible singer too. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. Very lucky. We're well, lucky them to be straight. able to still see them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah that's right all right hayes theater or the sydney theater company
1: oh that's a tough one but hayes so for those who don't know hayes in Potts point it's the most incredible place to watch innovative musical theater in a very small venue close up front you know they pare down big shows to small shows bring back sort of unloved musicals and, and really bring them to life so i've been a supporter of hayes from the very beginning incredible um, art institution. Sydney Theatre Company also incredible work, but my, my heart's with Hayes.
0: Yeah, look, I, from my little birdie I, that I've been asking these questions from, I actually didn't know much about the Hayes Theatre, so I have to get out there.
1: Oh, you definitely, you definitely yeah, do. You definitely do. If you want to see in, innovative ways of putting on musical theatre in a very small venue, you, you should mm-hmm. be going. Everything that is fabulous there. All right, we'll definitely go
0: there. And the final question. Willoughby Theatre Company or Notable Theatre Company?
1: Ooh. <laughs> definitely Willoughby Theatre Company. I, I did do a show with Notable once when it was called so, Chatswood back in the day, but I definitely Willoughby Theatre Company is my home.
0: Very good. And the person that I spoke to... Oh, I
1: can tell who it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was... Uh, uh, wanted me to... Uh, well, did not specifically want me to ask that, but... Um, it was something after I heard what he said about the other group, I thought I have to ask this. So we better not say any particular names, but, um, um, but I thought it was a good question to finish with. But Philip Lucas, thank you very much. We, we started this discussion talking about radiology in our industry and we ended up more talking about the theatre, but two great disciplines and two very uh, important disciplines that are both changing both impacted by AI, both impacted by many different changes, but uh, wonderful portals to work in and to enjoy from. And I think you've really illustrated to everybody tonight that being a CEO doesn't mean um, that you focus entirely on work. You know, you have to have these other interests. You have to think beyond the nine to five or nine to six or nine to seven job that we do. And it's been very interesting um, hearing from you about your passion, particularly for theatre. Um, And I think it's very refreshing to hear that. So thank you very much for taking the time out this evening to chat to us. And um, once again, also thank you to Loomis for uh, being a strong supporter uh, of the charity. And we look forward to that engagement moving forward. Please subscribe to the Rapcast channel on your preferred podcast subscription service. And please consider leaving a rating and a comment to let us know what you thought of this episode. To find out more about Radiology Across Borders, visit our website at radiologyacrossborders.org and follow us on LinkedIn to stay up to date with the latest happenings at the charity. We hope to have you join us and look forward to our next episode.